If you're applying to PA school in the 2024-2025 cycle, then I need you to know about our Pre-PA Academy. This is a group coaching program that I have wanted to start for so long and I am pumped. So from February to October of this cycle, we will be working as a cohort through the entire application process. The way that Academy works is we'll have three to four weekly sessions with myself and the other PA platform coaches where we will be teaching and doing group work and live personal statement editing, live mock interviews, question and answer, office hours, virtual shadowing, and just walking you through this entire PA school application process. We're going to start from your personal statement, choosing the programs, making a school list, getting your application ready before it opens in April on CASPA to getting you ready for interviews, what to do if you're hearing back, what to do if you're not. This is like our webinar series, but so much more intimate. Talking to students who have joined the program, it really seems like they are most excited for the accountability, the support, and the community through this process, and that is exactly what I wanted to offer. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. I promise. And we're just going to have a good time getting to know each other and working through it together and learning from each other. I want you guys to learn from each other in the program. You can sign up at any time. The code, if you want $50 off of your registration, is HELLO24. And we would love to have you as part of our first cohort of Pre-PA Academy for this upcoming cycle. Today, in episode 54, we're meeting Nan, an ENTPA who is also involved with the AAPA and is a PA platform coach. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me. Savannah here, and I am excited to bring you another interview. Um, It is application season. It is interview season, more importantly, so I'm really excited about this one. If we've never met, I'm Savannah. I am a dermatology PA, and I also run a website called The PA Platform, and I host this podcast every single week, and it's been been a lot of fun. I'm a year into it now, which is great, and yeah, I just enjoy doing it and getting to talk to a lot of different PAs and meet people. I met Nan on Instagram, and she actually reached out to me, gosh, almost a year ago, about possibly wanting to get involved with interviews and help out with what we were doing with the PA platform. So after talking to her, she had just graduated. I could tell that she really had a passion for helping students and she joined the team and the rest is history. So I'm excited for you guys to get to hear a little bit about her and meet her as well. Um, This podcast episode is sponsored by My PA Resource. If you're not familiar with that, is a website and I've had the founder of my PA resource on the podcast back a few episodes ago in number 51. So if you're needing help with your personal statement, listen to that episode and then you can also check out my PA resource and use the code prepa club for a discount on their services. And you know, I've been thinking, why don't we have a podcast discount code for the PA platform? That seems kind of silly. So you can also use the same code, PrePA Club, for a discount on any service through the PA platform. 
um, including mock interviews or pre-PA assessments. So that is new as of this episode. And if you've been listening along for a while, thank you so much. Um, If you are new, welcome. And make sure that you subscribe on iTunes to get the newest episodes uploaded every single week. They come out on Fridays, not exactly at the same time, but I try really hard. And yeah, if you ever have any suggestions, anyone you want to see on the podcast, um, any questions you want to have answered, let me know. I think I'm probably going to do a Q&A session coming up pretty soon. So send me your questions for that. And you can actually leave a voicemail question on the website if you go to thepaplatform.com slash podcast um, on your computer or if you look in the descriptions of the episodes. So I'd love to hear from you and hear some of your questions. But for now, let's jump into our interview with Don. And okay, I'm going to be completely honest. My baby <laughs> um, was fighting nap time during this interview, and so you'll kind of hear her yelling. Um, My baby loves to yell. She has found her voice. She doesn't really cry that much, but she yells. Um, And so she joins our interview in the middle, and that is such a distraction, but she was really fun. So anyway, you're going to hear some baby noises. I apologize, but um, (laughs) let's jump into it, and then I hope you'll get some good info out of this. Here we go. Introduce yourself and give us a little background on you and how you became a PA. My name is Nan. I am a fairly new PA that's working ENT. I am part of the inaugural PA class from Florida International University in Miami, and I just graduated this past December. Uh, prior to PA school, I received my master's in public health and worked for the local health department uh, as an epidemiologist investigating infectious diseases. And I've also worked as a medical assistant uh, at an HIV clinic. Interesting. Okay. Um, so a couple things there. First of all, public health. Do you feel like having a background in public health helped you with gain into PA school or has helped you as a PA? So I would say that my master's in public health did not necessarily get me any more interviews, uh, but it definitely was a conversation starter uh, while I was in the interviews. Um, As a PA, I really do believe that it's changed my thought process and, you know, looking to more like social economic status or factors that affect patients' care. Um, So because of that, I do believe it does make me a better healthcare provider. Okay, interesting, because I know that's something that people start to look at if they're having trouble getting into school or need to work on grades, going back and getting their master's in something, and a lot of times I recommend public health. I think it's interesting, so. um, Yeah, I definitely recommend that if you can or anyone really should take a few courses in public health, Um, but as far as obtaining a second master's degree, I would say do it only if you are truly interested in working with the underserved population um, or contributing, um, you know, to greater health and public health kind of thing. Cool. Okay. Um, the other thing, so the school, we'll get back to your application in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you went to, you said Florida International? Yes. University. Okay. And you're in the inaugural class. So does that mean you applied when it was provisional? Correct. I did okay. apply Provisionally, I am the first graduating class, um, so now, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's really cool. Did you have any um, reservations about going to a provisional program, or did you see any benefits of being in a provisional program? 
Uh, I think I was a little reserved applying, just not knowing much about it. But having been through the whole process and actually sitting in um, and being interviewed by the ARC, um, you know, the accrediting committee uh, for PA schools, I am confident. I feel like, you know, it takes a lot for a PA school to become accredited. Um, and so, you know, to new PA students out there, I definitely encourage you to look into it. Uh, one of the great things I would say about being in a brand new program is you have the opportunity to provide feedback and kind of meld the program and really make an impact for future PA students. So if that's something that you're interested in to make a really impact um, and kind of leave a legacy, um, then I do encourage for students to also look out to provisional um, accredited programs. Cool. Okay, so when it came time to apply to PA school, um, what did that process look for you, look like for you, and kind of how did you come to the decision of wanting to be a PA? So I will be honest, I did not do my research well. Uh, <laughs> my journey to PA school was challenging, and I would say that's probably one of the hardest part for me with this whole application. Um, at that time, I didn't really know anyone um, that was going through this process, so I kind of had to do this on my own. Um, and so for me, what really, you know, got me interested was, you know, I was working still as an epidemiologist, and I was just frustrated. At that time, I was working on this specific project, um, interviewing young adults uh, that were recently po or tested positive for hepatitis C. And so during, during these interviews, uh, I would call the patients and, you know, notify them of their test results. And here they are crying, you know, thinking this is like a life sentence. Um, you know, it was awful. And I was frustrated that these providers were the first ones to get into contact with the patients to notify them. And so I felt like I wanted to be the voice for these patients and um, do more and be there for them. And so that's really kind of what tricked me or tr trickles into wanting to become a PA. Interesting. Okay, so when it came time to apply, how many schools did you apply to and kind of what did that look like? So I applied in total 10 schools. Um, and like I said, I didn't do my research. I just kind of, and this is not something that I recommend <laughs> to other students, so learn from my mistakes. I just pretty much applied to wherever, you know, schools based on locations that I thought I would want to live in. Um, majority of them, I wanted to say locally, so I did apply to mostly Florida schools. Um, and really, it was just that I kind of compare my GPA to see what the school's requirements were, and if I met, you know, typically that's where I would apply. Um, but moving forward, I think for students that are out there, it's really important for you to do your research and look also into the programs uh, missions and values, you know, I feel it's just as important you're spending two or more years in these programs, you're investing yourself into your career as well. And so I think with that, you have to really do the research, make sure that the school is a good fit for you, and not just go because it's an easy reach. Okay, so when you apply to 10 schools, um, like how many did you hear back from? How many did you interview at? How'd that go? So, like I said, because of my lack of preparation and failing to really do the research, uh, I was uh, only offered the one interview at FIU, and fortunately, that was the only one school that I needed. Yep, you only need one. That's one. Uh, so now you are helping with interviews and yeah. coaching with us, which is awesome. Um, what advice, obviously you did well at your interview, you were accepted. Um, what advice do you have for somebody going into an interview? Um, I know 
you've seen through mock interviews things that I have where everyone kind of has their own things they need to work on. But from a general standpoint, what kind of advice would you give to somebody if they have an interview, let's say, next week? I would say the most important thing or the easiest thing really is just to be yourself. You know, be genuine. Don't make up answers that you think the programs want to know. Come speak from the heart and that would translate so much better. Um, what I do notice with a lot of these applicants interviews is don't just credit yourself. You know, every little thing you do, I think, brings a lot to the table and your weaknesses or strengths, you know, play that up. Like for me, I'll be honest, I didn't have strong GPA and that was probably what limited me in most of my interviews. Yes, like I said, I had my master's, but the schools didn't really care. They looked at my undergrad GPA and they're like, yeah, we don't know. Um, and so for me, I played up my public health strain a lot. And I think that's ultimately, like I said, what got me through the interview. Um, so if there is any particular, you know, thing that you have that you think is unique, play that to your advantage. And I think that will take you far. Yes. And that's what I feel like everyone has trouble. Um, I have trouble like bragging on yourself. And so I think one thing that we try to do in our mock interviews is help people to tease this out because we look at your application and we go, oh my gosh, this is so cool, this experience you have. Or like, it's great that you um, did this volunteer thing or this part of your personal statement was really good. Like you need to be able to kind of pick those things out and incorporate them in your interview um, and again, like, it's so easy to tell if someone's just trying to say what you think, what they think you want to hear. Um, and it, yeah, it comes off so generic. So yeah. from the heart, and yeah. smile, yeah, <laughs> smile. Yeah. Be confident. Um, anyway. Okay. So you started PA school. What, what was most difficult for you during PA school? Early on, I would say... I struggled a lot with mental, like personal blocks. And what I mean is, you know, early on, you're comparing yourself to others. And I think that's something, you know, it's easier said than done, but you really just have to work on it. Um, you know, you're there and the only competition is yourself to be a better version of yourself, you know, from the person you were yesterday. Um, and so that was challenging. Of course, I think the wealth of, or the you know, the volume overload of the information that's provided, you know, you hear often that the PA school analogy is like drinking water from a uh, fire hydrant or a water hydrant. And yeah. it's just challenging, you know? And so I think just trust yourself and kind of trust the process. Cause you know, whatever it is at the end of the day, everyone's going through the same boat uh, that you're going through. So, uh, so just your own cheerleader and motivate yourself to continue to study um, and not be so hard on yourself. It's easier said than done. <laughs> so after PA school, now you work in ENT. Um, is that a field that you felt like you wanted to do during school, or how did you end up in that specific specialty? So during PA school, um, when we had our ENT blog, we had a great professor uh, named Jose Mercado, and he was just really amazing. He was someone that was just so passionate about ENT, and I think I just kind of fed off of that. Um, he introduced us to uh, ENT conferences that I attended as a student. Um, and so that's ultimately how I got my interview and landed my job where I'm at now. And, um, you know, I just recall going as a student and one of the doctors 
you know, jokingly told me, you know, if you're someone who likes to play with toys, and sees the field to go. <laughs> and so that was another reason um, that really led me to uh, pursue EMT. Cool. Okay. Did you have trouble finding a job or was that pretty easy? So I applied for jobs about three months uh, part of uh, the under PA school. And I would say it was challenging at the time because a lot of the places they wanted to see that you were certified. Mm. So I think it all depends on when you apply, but I still would encourage uh, for students out there um, that are almost near the end of school to consider looking early. Um, and so I ended up with two interviews prior to graduation. Um, and both of these opportunities actually came from networking, whether it's with a conference or just being involved um, with the state academy. Okay, cool. Um, and you've been working for how long now? Been about five months. Okay. In March. How how has that adjustment been as a new grad? I mean, did you feel prepared coming out of school? At this point, do you feel like you have a handle on things? Like, how'd that go? Not at all. I feel like there are good <laughs> days and bad days, but it is rough. I mean, the feeling, you know, walking across the stage, knowing that you are now a PA graduate is amazing. But unfortunately, that does not translate well onto your <laughs> a job it's going to be very similar to um you know starting a new clinical rotation you're filming you don't know um you know you're going to feel lost it's definitely been a challenge i think i've gone through one hurdle um but there's still so much to learn and kind of what i said earlier about not comparing yourself to others i have to remind myself frequently it's not fair for me to compare my knowledge to my attendings someone who's had you know seven years of um residency training on top of med school and plus years of experience. So I, again, I think that's just something that I will have to continue to remind myself um, and just continue to learn and push myself to grow more each day. Uh, but I'm hanging in there. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I always, I like to look at your Instagram and see you're good about sharing like what's happening in clinic and what your days look like. Um, but what is a typical, like what is a typical day at your job, like your schedule and then as far as like your level of autonomy and all of that? So my uh, current position is interesting. We are affiliated with an academic center. Um, And so I work closely with our residents and our attendings. Um, Also, I would say my ENT practice is a lot different from others in the fact that we're very subspecialized. We have, you know, specialists that works in otology, so only dealing with the ears, rhinology, so just dealing with the nose, you know, pediatric clinic, and also a plastic uh, reconstruction um, provider. And so I feel like we're so spread out, whereas if you talk to most ENT um, providers, they are like, oh, I'm only an otologist, you know, and I only deal with ear issues. Um, so each day is different. Um, I work Monday to Friday from eight to five. Um, depending on my assignments, I may work with our ear doctor in the morning and then switch to a different clinic in the afternoon. Um, and so as far as autonomy, I'm still in the process of learning, you know, how to, um, be better with my scoping with, um, the nasal endoscopies. Um, but at this time, um, as part of our training, 
the goal or what's expected is for me to see every new or extended return patient, kind of see them, you know, get a full history, perform the physical exam, maybe perform ear debridement if necessary, um, kind of come out there and discuss with my attending, you know, to hear the findings um, and kind of come up with a plan. And then together, we'll go back to the patient's room and, you know, kind of discuss that. And so the goal and, you know, once the training phase is over, I'm expected to have full time, be able to see the patients on my own, and then discharge them out and ultimately have my own set of patients. Cool. That's really exciting. Okay. So transitioning from your job, um, I definitely want to talk about AAPA stuff. So okay. how did you, how did you first get involved with AAPA and why, why, like, why was that something you wanted to do or? So... I was pretty involved as a student leader at FIU. Um, I was, what was my role? I was diversity chair for our class. Um, that kind of also led me to work with our state academy, uh, really just trying to get involved more as a leader. Um, but really, I got my start in lobbying or interest there uh, years ago in college when I lobbied with Planned Parenthood uh, for women's like reproductive rights. And so after getting my master's in public health, I kind of needed a goal to use my PA title as a platform uh, to kind of advocate for patients' health. Um, and so sure enough, you know, I was browsing around on Facebook one day and I saw that the AAPA was looking for students to apply to become a, a delegate for the Student Academy. Um, which, by the way, if anyone's interested, uh, the HOD application is available now until September 30th. Okay, good to know. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so that's really how I got involved. That's interesting. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we, had a, we had a baby bust into our session. Okay, so are you still, wait, so what are you now? Right now, I am just a member. Okay, so um, you finished kind of your delegate... Correct. So typically, you have selected, um, you will serve pretty much for a whole year. So that typically begins in August, September, um, and that those duties will end May at the conference. Okay, cool. So if you're a delegate, what does that mean? Like, what do you do? (laughs) So as part of a delegate, you have the authority on behalf of the AAPA to enact policies and principles for the PA profession. So to kind of give you some background, there are 57 chapters, um, and these delegates represent. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, Sam, you're not helping us. <laughs> She's so cute. She is cute. I don't remember her question. Um, all right, we'll just begin by what does it mean to be a delegate? Oh so. yeah, yeah. What do you do? What do you actually do as a delegate? Uh, So the House of Delegates have the authority on behalf of the AAPA to enact policies and principles of the PA profession. Um, In total, there are 57 chapters representing 50 states, 26 recognized specialty organizations, uh, such as dermatology and otolaryngology, um, and eight organizations that, you know, share a common goal or interest to healthcare delivery. And so for us as a student academy, we have the largest voting body and have 16 seats. In other words, 16 like voting privileges. Um, and so every year we meet at the AAPA conference uh, for about three days. The first two days, you know, we're just discussing the different um, policies are presented and kind of, um, you know, ways that 
these policies may affect healthcare delivery, um, whether it's Medicare coverage, PA privileges, um, health promoting and disease prevention. And then the final day is when we vote up on these issues. So this past conference, what, um, what legislation, what were like the hot topics? Okay, so I would say one of probably the hottest topic right now still is um, changing the professional title of physician assistant. What is your thoughts on that? So, you know, I will agree where most people feel that um, the name change isn't necessary and that it's kind of silly that the APA, AAPA is spending so much money investigating this issue. Because, um, you know, but I, in a way, do feel like the title or the word assistant does hinder our practice and confuses the general population. Um, and so pretty much what this policy says is that it's not necessarily to vote whether or not we'll go with the name change, but just kind of further investigate and kind of see what the general consensus feel, uh, whether a title change would be appropriate. And that y'all voted to do that, correct? Correct. So okay. not necessarily that we change the name at this time, just to kind of see what everyone thinks of the name change and offer suggestions as to, you know, what physician associate be appropriate or whatever it is. So they're just investigating that at the moment. Okay. Uh, but I feel like at the end of the day, you just have to educate not just your patients, but just everyone, you know, even if someone that you meet on the street, on the elevator, just educate on who and what a FDA is. So, um, so yeah, so whether a name change will truly change that, I don't know. Uh, but we just have to do more work, I think, to get the general public to know who and what we are. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of the name change, honestly, but, um, I mean, if, if they want to do it, it's fine. I just, I try to make sure my patients kind of know what PAs are. Um, what, was there anything else that was like? Yeah. So there was another hot debate in the house, um, this year and that's the standards requiring in-person instruction. And so the original policy pretty much stated, you know, stating AAPA support standards to require that PA training programs provide at least 80% of didactic instruction as in-person or live lectures. Oh. And so I think it was just a great topic starter. Um, and I think right now really was in a way targeting Yale. Mm -hmm. The online program online program and they're the only online program currently uh you know i think perhaps if the policy was stated differently um you know i mean i think at the end of the day what really boils down to is whether or not there'll be a flood uh, market like available and there's just online programs popping everywhere so i think you know maybe the title or the way this policy was written it just didn't clearly state that, but that's really what the underlying issue is. And unfortunately, that policy did get rejected in the House. Um, and so I think, you know, down the line, this is something we're going to have to talk about. Yes, I do believe that with, you know, technology advances that online components can be great for students. But I think, you know, we'd have to kind of light fire for the accrediting bodies, the PAEA, um, those that are in charge of PA education to really make sure that there is a policy in place and that not every, you know, Joe University can 
create their own online PA program. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about the online programs yet, honestly. And I think it's going to be kind of seeing how Yale does and what happens with that um, to see. There needs to be more research, and I think that's kind of what preferred it as, too. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, and you did a really great blog post about (laughs) – the different stuff on there on your website. So I'll link to that. Um, any other, I mean, was there anything else that was like, see, I feel like I am not up on the legislation even as much as I should be because it's, it's almost hard to follow and I feel like find out the information. So, um, if you're not really involved. Yes, it is hard. And that's kind of my goal moving forward in the future. Um, it's just to try to make it easy to digest where anyone practicing can have a better understanding of what's going on. Um, but as far as other major recommendations, um, you know, I think there are two that will affect students in a way. Um, mm-hmm. One of them uh, that got passed this year, and this was an initiative started by the Student Academy, is increasing PA diversity. Okay. Um, so that did get passed, and what that policy states is um, that there needs to be an initiative for increased funding for development and operation of PA programs um, at historically black colleges and universities, uh, predominantly black institutions, um, Hispanic-serving institutions, and rural-serving institutions. And then um, this last one here is uh, support for PA and federal loan limits. And so I see now that with the increasing um, challenges uh, or competitiveness to get into PA school, I do that there will be more students uh, that will come in with a master's beforehand. And so sometimes these loan limitations can affect those students. And so that is definitely something that I think will benefit future PA students. Cool. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Um, interesting. So the diversity one, is that to get – I don't know if I understand. Is it to get more programs or just more funding for more. the programs that, okay, gotcha. Just cool. to encourage um, for, again, just to have more diversity. Diversity, awesome. That's really cool. Um, okay, well, where can everyone find you? I know you have your website and Instagram and you're on the PA platform. You're everywhere. <laughs> I'm everywhere. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. My uh, Instagram handle name is ampersand.pa. Um, and my blog is ampersandpa.com. And I guess I'll take this moment to, you know, people ask, like, why ampersand? <laughs> and really, it's, you know, it's supposed to be like and PA. And yeah. so I'm really hoping to you know, as I move on to, I guess, also include more public health awareness. And so really bring that to light because, you know, I do feel like, yes, there are a number of us that do have our MPH background and PAs, but no one really talks about the public health things. And mm-hmm. really that could be anything and everywhere. Like people don't realize, you know, when you think about wearing seatbelts, you know, that's a public health initiative. Um, and so all these little things I want to be incorporated better inform you. So that was why I change my oh yeah you did change it one day I was like wait um it caught me off guard well I'll link to all of that in the description um so everyone can go and find you and then yeah well thanks for sharing all of your advice and knowledge and it was it was good I think this will be really helpful thank you so much for having me
All right, guys, that was our interview with Nan. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll link to her blog and the blog post we talked about in the description. And make sure you follow her on Instagram, ampersand, period, PA. And I'll put that in the description, too. Um, and if you want to book a mock interview with Nan, go for it. I'll put that link there, too. She's an awesome interview coach and um, just doing a really great job getting a lot of acceptances this cycle. And if you have any questions for her, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.